At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. We invite you to join us for our series, Habits, Ancient Practices for Today's World, where we'll learn to reject culture's endless stream of quick fixes for God's time-tested truth. Together, we'll rediscover age-old practices that draw us to Him, where true satisfaction awaits. Good morning. Well, on the first floor of the iconic Eastern Market in downtown Detroit, there sits a clothing store that I think really captures the mood of our city and our entire region. It is a store called Detroit Hustles Harder. The drive, the determination that represents our city can be seen on bumper stickers and t-shirts and all sorts of different products with that logo, Detroit Hustles Harder. But that really is the fabric of our city, isn't it? We really do hustle. We really do work hard, long hours. And the truth is we're proud of our work ethic. That's why such a store even exists. Here's the deal. That's true of Detroit, but that is also true of all of us who live in America. You see, this is really an American thing. And the statistics prove that to be true. We have an unhealthy commitment to our work. Here's what I mean. I'd like you to consider a couple of these facts. Nearly 86% of all males and 67% of all females in the workforce work more than a 40-hour work week. 86 and 67%. Another statistic reveals that the International Labor Organization has kind of calculated the numbers and Americans work 137 more hours per year than the Japanese. 260 more hours per year than the British. And 499 more hours than the French. You can go ahead and fill in your jokes there about the French. (laughs) The truth is, no one should question our work ethic, but there is something significant that you and I should be able to evaluate when we consider those statistics, and that is our motives. Those are facts, but what's behind the facts? What are the motives that drives us to have that type of work ethic? Why are we working so hard? Why are we spending so many hours on the job? And what is all of that producing in our lives? I want to suggest to you that it is producing one word, and it starts with S. It is stress. All of that work creates a lot of stress in our lives. According to a Gallup poll from just a few years ago, Americans are among the most stressed out people in the entire world. 50% acknowledge that they feel worried a lot. I am worried about a lot of things a lot of the time. That's what the American people will tell you And another segment, almost a fifth of our culture says we're regularly angry. 
we live worried and angry. Now, these are things that should not mark the life of a believer. If you were in Jesus Christ today, that should not be true of you and it should not be true of me. We should be living lives of contentment. We should have homes filled with peace. We should be a people who are overflowing with joy. Those are the things that should mark our lives. Rather than striving and straining all week and then collapsing once we finally hit the finish line of Friday at 5 o'clock. It should be different. The believer should work from a posture of rest, not for the finish line to get some rest. You might say, well, Pastor, what does that look like? I mean, really, I'm exhausted. I, I work and I work and I work and I get to Friday and I'm absolutely exhausted. What does that look like for me to practice that in my own life? It means that your work life will actually bring you some measure of contentment. It means that your family life will bring you joy. It means that your spiritual life will help you experience the peace of God that you have because of Christ. That's what it can look like. But the question that you and I wrestle with, the question that most people in America are wrestling with, is how in the world do we get there? How can we experience that? That's what we're all trying to figure out a little bit, isn't it? Well, today we're going to be examining... A spiritual habit or a spiritual practice or a spiritual discipline that will help us experience some of that. It is the spiritual habit of Sabbath. They'd say, okay, Pastor, wait a second. I have heard a hundred messages on the Sabbath. What are you going to say that's new today? I'm not sure I'm going to say anything new, but I will tell you what I am going to say is going to be a healthy reminder for all of us. And there might be something a little bit new fact is most of us have heard that word yeah I think that word is in the Ten Commandments isn't it that that Sabbath thing that's that's found back in the Old Testament and we kind of have this vague understanding of what it means but if I took a microphone and went around the worship center yes even in the dark If I took a microphone and went around the worship center, my guess is most of us would say that yes, I do in fact struggle with putting this into practice. I'm going to be really transparent with you today. Me too. Me too. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't examine it. That doesn't mean we shouldn't submit our hearts and our minds to the truth of what's happening here. So let's look at what the word Sabbath actually means. Get this kind of helpful definition to get us kicked off here. It is a day when all ordinary work stopped. All ordinary work stopped. God gave his people the Sabbath as an opportunity then to serve him and as a reminder of two great truths in the Bible, creation and redemption. That's the definition. You see, Sabbath comes from God. He established the practice and he exhorts his people, you and me, if we are in Christ today, he exhorts his people to put this into practice in our lives. Let's listen 
to a couple of key texts from the Old Testament that really kind of set the stage for us. Genesis 2 and then Exodus 20. Hear these words. And on the seventh day, God finished his work. He finished the work that he had done and he rested on the seventh day from all of his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and he made it holy. Because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. You read that text and it's pretty clear that God did something there, didn't he? What did he do? He rested. God rested. Do you think that might be important for us? And then we get to the Ten Commandments in Exodus. It says, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and you shall do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall, do, you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. Who does that cover? Everybody. For in six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. And then he rested on the seventh day. So Exodus is communicating, hey, wait a second, did you, did you read what happened in Genesis? It just happened back there. Did you catch that? Yep, we got it. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and he made it holy. So carved in a stone tablet by the hand of Almighty God, the message of Sabbath carries great importance for you and for me today. And yet many of us, if we're honest, if we're real and transparent with each other, many of us today will say, well, I'm, I'm not sure of the relevance of Sabbath keeping for me, for, for my life. The thinking goes a little bit like this. You see, Sabbath keeping was that Old Testament practice. Pastor, you keep going back to Genesis and Exodus. That's an Old Testament deal. You see, we have a new covenant promise in Christ. That's our experience. We have a new covenant promise in Christ. Therefore, it is irrelevant because Jesus fulfilled the requirements of the law. He took care of that on the cross. Church, let me say he did. He did do that. That is true. But there's more for you and for me to enter into. But those facts, that Old Testament fact, the New Testament reality of Christ and the New Covenant, it leaves 21st century believers with a few questions, doesn't it? As I'm kind of establishing this kind of from where it comes from, many of us are sitting here and going, okay, well, what am I supposed to do? Do I, do I observe Sabbath? You just said Jesus fulfilled the law. What does the word mean when it says remember the Sabbath? I, th I thought we didn't have to do that because that's Old Testament law. What does that look like for me today, right now, right here? Well, church, to find answers, we're going to be reading a pretty powerful interaction that Jesus has with a group of Pharisees. It's detailed in Luke's gospel. We're going to turn there in just a moment. What I want you to know is as we're turning there, what we're going to find are two reasons that Sabbath keeping remains absolutely important and critical for our lives and for the growth of our faith today. So let's grab our Bibles. We're going to turn to Luke chapter 6. If you do not have a Bible, you can join with us on the screen behind me. And we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 6. 
It is on page 861 in the ESV translation, and uh, that's what we use here at Woodside, and so I want to encourage you there, 861 in your ESV, uh, Luke chapter 6. We're just going to read this first segment of that text. It says, on a Sabbath... While he was going through the grain fields, his disciples plucked and ate some heads of grain. And they rubbed them in their hands. But some of the Pharisees said, why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? And Jesus answered them, have you not read what David did when he was hungry? He and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priests to eat. And he also gave it to those who were with him. Did did you catch that? And then he said to them this powerful sentence. He said, the son of man is Lord of the Sabbath. The son of man is Lord of the Sabbath. You see, throughout Galilee and Judea, Jesus had this growing popularity. That's what's preceded this. He's captured the attention and the respect of both the people and the religious leaders of the day. They're intrigued by him. He's done some really significant things. He's got this fresh teaching. He's done dramatic healings. They've watched him, and quickly the Pharisees then begin to get a little bit concerned They have this respect for him. They see what's happening. Miracles and powerful things are happening around the person of Jesus as he he walks through the culture, and yet they begin to get concerned. They begin to question everything about Jesus, specifically the practice of his friends. Here's what it says in Luke 5. It says, And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who is this who can speak, who can forgive sins but God alone? Then a little further on, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And then a couple verses later, the disciples of John fast often and offer prayers, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees. But yours, yours eat and drink. Not exactly a spirit of partnership, friendship. So as the disciples are journeying together in our text, some of them picked heads of grain, rubbed them in the palms of their hands. Now that was culturally acceptable. But the question is the timing. The timing matters in this text. You see, these actions were seen as an affront to the holy day because in their view, in this culture, in this religious space for them plucking and reaping and threshing and preparing food, well, that constituted work. There's a lot of work going on there. So they challenge. Jesus responds. He hears their critical question and he responds. He says, have you not read what David did when he was hungry? Questioning their question of him, Jesus then questions those who uphold and teach the law by asking them if they've even read the law. Boom. 
then continued by teaching the Pharisees about the bread of the presence. Now you find that story in Exodus chapter 25 and it was the context of the holy of holies. And so what would happen is on the Sabbath day, the bread would be changed for a fresh loaf and the old loaves would be eaten by the priest. And yet in a time of great hunger, David entered the house of God and was given this consecrated bread for him and for his hungry traveling companions. That is what Jesus is referencing. They might say, well, why? Why is he referencing that? Because Jesus wanted all to hear that human need is more important than lifeless legalism. I'm going to say that one more time. Human need is more important than lifeless legalism. And that's why Jesus said, I preside over the Sabbath. It is a bold proclamation to be sure. You see, the Pharisees in that moment understood that he was claiming to be divine. And he was claiming to rule over this divine ordinance, thereby declaring that the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus is referring to his messianic role and his function. He's proclaiming his authority as the sovereign Lord who governs all, including the holy day. Church, this helps us see that the Sabbath is for the worship of God. That's our first point today. Sabbath is for the worship of Almighty God. And when we consider the words of Jesus in this interaction, it should cause all of us who hear to wrestle with the meaning and the implications of what Jesus is declaring. Jesus is in fact declaring that he is Lord over the Sabbath. And I want you to know this is not just a throwaway phrase. This has significant meaning. It means that Jesus is Lord. Jesus is God. Do you know Jesus? Do you know the one who is making that proclamation? Have you placed your faith in him? Have you repented of your sin, turned from your ways, and believed the gospel, the good news? Maybe today is your day. You hear that Jesus makes this proclamation and it begins to come together for you. You see, by trusting in Christ, we respond to the words of Luke chapter 6 in the affirmative. We affirm that Jesus is, in fact, Lord of the Sabbath. And so we must consider how are we going to deal with that in our personal lives? Do I believe that? Have I responded in repentance and faith? Now for all who have repented of sin and have placed your faith in Christ, you'd say, well, pastor, I've already done that. Well, here's the significance of what's happening then. When we see Sabbath and when we see Jesus proclaim that he is Lord over that Sabbath, We are given, as believers, a consistent reminder of his atoning work on the cross. That's what Sabbath is all about. And this brings us to this reality that God's people then enter into worship. 
You see, that's our good and right response to this truth. That Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath, and so therefore his people worship. We worship. Now, following Jesus' proclamation that he is the Lord of the Sabbath, we continue now in Luke's gospel and we find the second reason that Sabbath keeping is important for you and me. It not only points us to the person and the work of Christ, it then is a consistent reminder for believers of the significance of Christ. We see the second portion of why this matters to you and to me. Let's go back to our text. Pick it up at verse 6. It says, On another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and he was teaching, and a man was there whose right hand was withered. And so the scribes and the Pharisees, well, they, they did what they always do. They watched him. They watched him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath so that they might find a reason to accuse him. But he knew their thoughts, and he said to the man with the withered hand, come and stand here. And he rose and he stood there, and Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to destroy it? Such a good question. And after looking around at them, he said to him, stretch out your hand. Stretch out your hand. And he did, and the hand was restored. But as you might expect, this, the others were filled with fury and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. Once again, Jesus responds to his accusers on the topic of Sabbath, and this time he moves not from the point of worship, but to the point of the beneficiaries of the Sabbath. Who is the Sabbath for? You see, Jesus had entered the synagogue to teach. That's where he finds this guy with this withered, this withered hand in the face of the opposition. Jesus says, stretch out your hand. And he healed him. He performs a healing right there in the midst of his accusers. And what he does in doing so is he's changing the narrative from what is permitted on the Sabbath to what is right and to what is good on the Sabbath. It's a massive turn. And when it comes to things like fasting and doing good on the Sabbath, the law, I want you to know, encourages both. Yet the Pharisees, of course, took issue... Anybody surprised? No. They took issue with Jesus' life-giving actions. Instead of watching as life was, was given to this impaired man, they sought to do something completely different. They sought to what they could do to Jesus. So instead of giving life, they're seeking to take life. Do you see the contrast? It is massive and it is clear. Lifeless legalism. Or Christ. Church, this helps us see our second point today. That Sabbath is a gift for God's people. Sabbath is a gift for God's people. It's not a burden, but it is something that gives us life. 
It gives life to our souls. If we're honest with each other, we'll all recognize that our lives are filled with things that seem difficult at the beginning. And so when the pastor stands on the stage and says, hey, you should be practicing Sabbath, you're going, oh no, not another thing to do. What seems difficult at first is ultimately a source of blessing. It's a source of blessing. I'm going to rattle off a list of things here that you guys will appreciate, I think, because you'll identify that at the beginning they seem like tasks and yet they give us life many times. How about like getting up early in the morning and exercising? (laughs) Oh, no. And yet it reaps reward. How about putting the phone down and getting off social media for a while? That can give life. Or something more significant, maybe, hey, you know what, I'm going to dig in and I'm going to learn a new language. That's going to take a while, but I'm going to pour my life into it. How about going back to school to get a degree? Man, that is a long road ahead. I want to tell you about a friend of mine by the name of Cindy. Cindy was in her mid-40s when she decided that it was time to finish the college degree that she had started some 20 years earlier. Let me set the stage about Cindy. Cindy is a mom of three. She is a wife. She is a grandmother. She is a full-time administrative assistant at her church. I worked very closely with Cindy, and she decided to dive into something difficult because ultimately it would pay dividends in the long run. So many late nights, many incredibly long papers, some grueling exams. Cindy graduated with honors. But she didn't stop there. She got her bachelor's degree. She graduated with honors, but she didn't stop there. She said, I'm going to keep going. I want to move forward. So instead of just stopping and sort of basking in the glow of her degree, she went back to work because the long-term benefit would be for helping others. So seven years after she started... (laughs) My friend Cindy has earned her master's degree in social work. Today she serves in what is her dream job. She serves at a school where students are under-resourced. She pours into them. She counsels them. She teaches them. She gives them life to both the student and the family. You see, many of us would say, wow, seven years? That's too long. I I don't want to invest in that. Yet Cindy viewed it as a worthwhile discipline. It's a discipline that would ultimately be a blessing to others and a source of life for her own soul. Church Sabbath is a lot like that. Sabbath is a lot like that, and here's the deal. The good news is it doesn't take seven years for you and I to accomplish it. You see, Sabbath is used by God to develop us, to grow us. It's used to teach us, to help to look and to listen to what God has for each of us. Sabbath is that thing, that place where we hear the still, small voice of our God, even in the midst of the chaos of our world, we hear the voice of God. 
in my absolute favorite book on the topic of Sabbath. It's called The Rest of God. Author Mark Buchanan tells the story of being asked what is his biggest regret in life. He acknowledges that he's made many missteps and he's had a lot of personal failure and loss and all that. And he replied, my biggest regret is being in a hurry. Getting to the next thing without fully entertaining the thing that is right in front of me. He says, I cannot think of a single advantage I have ever gained from being in a hurry. But instead, a thousand broken and missed things, tens of thousands lie in the wake of all that rushing. So let me ask you, are you in a hurry? Are you missing out on the most important things of life because you're experiencing the tyranny of the urgent? This won't wait, and neither will that, and neither will that. I've got to do it. I've got to do it today. I've got to do it right now. I am in a hurry. Don't get in my way. I've got things to do. Sabbath says, slow down. Rest in me. That's what Sabbath is all about. You see, the beauty of Sabbath is found in its simplicity. Not in adding more, but it's found in the beauty of simplicity. That's what happens when we stop striving. We get our undivided attention on the person and the work of Christ. And we see the gospel most clearly. Listen to the words of Ephesians 2. It says, for by the grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is a gift from God, not a result of works. So that no one may boast. It's not about you working and striving and trying harder. That is not the gospel. The gospel is that you are saved by grace through faith. That is the good news. So striving and working and hustling and giving our best effort, none of those things makes us holy. None of them. Only when we humble ourselves, when we stop hustling and come to Christ in repentance and faith, that's when we model true dependence upon Christ for our salvation. We model it when we do that. We can say we believe that Ephesians, that Ephesians 2, that uh, passage right there, we can say, yeah, I believe that, but are, are we living that we believe that? You see, Sabbath helps Christ followers worship the giver of life and then rest in the life that he gives. See, when we practice this, when we experience a weekly momentary rest from our work, we have this opportunity to have a renewed focus upon God as we gather for worship. And so what happens then is we get rest for our body, for our mind, and for our souls. You see, when believers practice this, when we put it into practice in our lives, what we do is we 
we get to see what it looks like. We get a glimpse of our eternal rest that we have in Jesus. Here's what it says in Hebrews. It says, so then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Again, pointing back to the giver of Sabbath. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. We are invited into that rest. A consistent, rhythmic, weekly rest is what God desires for you and for me. Not in a hurry, not in some sort of heavy, burdensome way, rather in a way that gives life to God's people. You see, when we gather with the people of God, like now, when we sing the praises of God, like we're going to in just a moment, we have the opportunity then to reflect upon the work of God who is the giver of life. May we experience the life that is only found in Christ. Amen. Thank you for joining us today as we study God's Word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.